The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and I'm delighted today to welcome back my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Great to have you on, as always. And this topic today, folks, very topical. It is called The Real Story behind the American retreat and defeat in Afghanistan. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today? Andrew, I'm sure we've all been grieved and shocked by the scenes, uh, people falling off aeroplanes, the uh, panic, uh, the chaos, uh, people abandoned. And, of course, it shocks many people, especially young people uh, who haven't lived through as many betrayals as uh, I have. Uh, to think, you know, how, how could this happen? And it reminded me immediately of a time back in 1987, I was in Free Angola uh, during the height of the Cold War, except we were in a hot part of the Cold War, in Angola. I was in Jonas Savimbi's headquarters in Jumbo in Free Angola. And of course, at that time, the Cubans and the Soviets were heavily involved in the war in Angola. And uh, Jonas Savimbi, whose guest we were, leaned across the at the breakfast table and he said it is better to be America's enemy than America's friend if you are her enemy you will probably be bought but if you're America's friend you will certainly be sold and I had American guests there with me as well and uh, Jonas Vimby was by no means anti-American in fact he loved American history <clears throat> he loved American culture and he regularly would be quoting from George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. He looked up to America as a city on a hill as an example of faith and freedom, which he hoped to emulate in a free Angola. However, he was referring to the United States State Department and its trail of betrayal. Uh, at that same breakfast, he looked across at some of my American guests and said, do you know why there hasn't been a revolution in America? For over 200 years and the guests were at lost and how to answer and so he answered his own question there's no american embassy in america well everyone laughed and some squirmed in their seats and unfortunately it's not much of a joke 
this may be a surprise to many American people, but it's not to many of us who live in the third world. And I've been born and brought up in Africa. And I know a lot of these things from personal experience. But just to give a bit of historic background as to what Jonas Vimby was referring to, the involvement of American embassies in inciting and fostering and even organizing coup d'etats, revolutions around the world are well documented. Examples include the CIA's Operation Ajax, which orchestrated the 1953 coup d'etat overthrowing of the democratically elected president of Iran. And this was inspired by oil companies. Oil companies, both British and American, were heavily involved in financing this, which was done under Eisenhower's administration, uh, mind you, having said that, and, and Churchill was back in power in Britain, and the CIA and MI6 were involved. They were buying key leaders in Iran and organized and paid for the street protest and overthrew Prime Minister Mohammed Mossadegh of Iran, all for oil, because the oil companies wanted it. In the next year, 1954, the CIA overthrew the president of Guatemala, uh, Jacobo Arbenz, to establish a dictatorship which favored the American multinational, the American United Fruit Company. And in 1962, there was a coup d'etat in the Dominican Republic, organized also by the CIA. And all of this has been confirmed by the Church Commission in 1975, looking into the CIA's operations of organizing coup d'etats. Even South Vietnam, the 1963 assassination of the South Vietnamese leader, Nguyen Dinh Dinh, who was meant to be America's ally, it was orchestrated by the South Vietnamese generals who requested the CIA's support to bring about the coup d'etat and the assassination. Another well-known coup, the 1964 coup d'etat in Brazil, included the street protests which ousted President João Goulart and replaced him with the Brazilian chief of staff, Humberto Castillo Branco, whose forces were supplied with non-American weapons by the CIA. And National Security Archives declassified documents which confirmed that President Lyndon Johnson planned the Brazilian coup with his advisors, and that dictatorship lasted from 1964 to 1985 in Brazil. Now, these and many other regime changes are documented in John Jacob Nutter's book, The CIA's Black Ops, COVID Action, Foreign Policy and Democracy, published in the year 2000. Well, a good friend of mine, South Africa, Ada Parker, who's a journalist, who's brought up in Kenya and became a top South African journalist uh, for the Citizen newspaper in 1977, Ada Parker documented that the American embassy had a reading room in Soweto, which was deliberately subversive. Now, what on earth did the American embassy have a reading room in Soweto for? Well, you would have thought that they might have had books on George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, so no, 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 no. The, these were books and magazines and pamphlets and films of Vladimir Lenin and Mao Zedong and Karl Marx and Che Guevara and Fidel Castro and other Marxist idols and revolutionaries. And ba basically, Ada Parker documented in a series of sensational revelations that the U.S. Embassy was a primary staging post for the revolutions, the 1976 Soweto riots, which today is immortalized in the Youth Day celebrations every 16 of July of June in South Africa. So uh, the American embassy, not just the Soviet embassy, were involved in fomenting revolution in South Africa. Well, one American war hero that I met was Captain Eugene McDaniels, known as Red McDaniels. He's a US Navy uh, pilot aviator. And I read his book, Scars and Stripes. 
the true story of one man's courage facing death as a POW in Vietnam. Now, Red McDaniels was flying an A6 intruder of aircraft carrier, and he was shot down in North Vietnam, and he survived six years of torture and captivity in Hanoi in Vietnam, what they called the Hanoi Hilton. And after he was released in 1972, he became involved in a Vietnam War POW, or Missing in Action campaign, to account for the thousands of missing in action Americans abandoned by the government. And one of the documentaries he helped produce was the video Aban- Americans Abandoned, which uh, I have on my shelves and uh, absolutely shocking. He became the founder and president of the American Defense Institute, the ADI, which sought to document the trail of betrayal of American prisoners of war or missing in actions abandoned not just in Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos, but in North Korea and China after the Korean War and in the Soviet Union after both the First and Second World Wars. He introduced me to the book Kiss the Boys Goodbye, How the United States Betrayed Its Own POWs. Well, absolutely shocking. Amongst the different things you learn uh, in Kiss the Boys Goodbye is Lieutenant Colonel Philip Corso, who once served in the National Security Council staff under President Dwight Eisner, he testified to the Senate Select Committee on POW Missing in Action Affairs in 1992 that it was the deliberate policy of the Eisenhower administration to list as dead many of those American GIs who were known to be captured alive by the North Koreans during the Korean conflict. Altogether, there were some 8,177 U.S. servicemen unaccounted for for the Korean War at the end of the conflict. In 1955, President Eisenhower decided that the unaccounted for prisoners will be declared dead. Colonel Corso also testified there were journalists who accepted money from the CIA to report the party line and ignore the many reports of American POWs shipped to the Soviet Union and alive working the gulags, for example. And as he testified to the Senate Select Committee, the fate of our prisoners fell through the cracks. It wasn't an accident. It was policy. Colonel Corso also testified that trainloads of American prisoners were shipped to the Soviet Union from Korea and from Vietnam, and none of those boys ever came back. Senator Robert Smith, of um, he is a Republican senator from Northampton, he concluded at the end of this this uh, Senate Select Committee on uh, looking into POW MI affairs, he concluded, a large number of American servicemen at the end of the war were left behind and were sent to communist China and to the Soviet Union. Internal documents and statements made at the time also showed that our government believed that these men were still alive in captivity. And until only a few months ago, the government had kept that reality from the American people. It covered up what it knew to, through a pattern of denial, misleading statements, and in some cases, lies. And by doing so with regard to the Korean conflict, it broke its commitment with the people who put on a uniform to fight for the freedoms and protection that we and our allies enjoy today. That's over 8,000 missing in action prisoners of war abandoned from the Korean conflict alone. So when people talk about the 2,400-odd missing in actions unaccounted for at the end of the uh, Vietnam War, well, that's not even accounting for the more than 8,000 abandoned after the Korean War. And that's not accounting for the many who were listed as killed in action or dead uh, who were known to be alive prisoners of war. So, in fact, it's even worse than that. Well, to make it even more intriguing and shocking, a General Dmitry Volkogomov 
of the Soviet Red Army uh, was brought through and testified before the U.S. Senate Select Committee in 1992 on missing in actions and POWs. So this Russian general testified in 1992 to the American uh, Senate that declassified Soviet documents confirmed that American prisoners of war were incarcerated in Russia and were executed in Russia. And he testified things that most people were not aware of and which I think most of the mainstream, lamestream media has not bothered to report. But there were tens of thousands of prisoners of war, American prisoners of war, of Germany, for example, Americans shot down uh, bombing the cities of Germany or uh, captured in the Ardennes offensive in the um, um, Battle of the Bulge and so on, and who had been captured by the Soviets. I can't use the word liberated, as you will see in a moment, because they weren't liberated. They found themselves on the territory of the Soviet Union at the end of the Second World War and were employed in Stalin's gulag labor camps and on many cases were summarily executed by the NKVD. The NKVD used to be the Czech and then it became, after the NKVD, it became the KGB, same organization, the secret police of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And so this uh, General Dmitry said he had also uncovered files of the interrogation of at least 49 American pilots who had been captured in North Korea, but were held prisoner in Russia uh, with 3,000 others, and also, uh, but they were sent from Korea or China into uh, the Soviet Union where they were interrogated or put into slave labor camps. There were also American defectors from the Vietnam War who had defected to North Vietnam, who were relocated into Russia for propaganda activity with the agreement of the People's Republics of China and Vietnam. And so General Dmitry Volkomov of, of the Soviet army said more than 22,000 American prisoners of war were in camps liberated by the Soviets during World War II, and they were made slaves in Soviet gulag labor camps. Now, considering that Russia is meant to be an ally of American Second World War. That's unbelievably treacherous. But he said he knew of and a documentation of at least 119 Americans who had been executed, uh, been accused of being spies or collaborationists. Now, these were prisoners of war um, executed by the Russians during the Second World War, uh, who they had so-called liberated, uh, even while they were meant to be an ally of America and receiving extremely generous lend-lease um, billions and billions of dollars of the best weaponry America had, uh, tanks, aircraft, weaponry of all sorts. And he said he knew of at least six American prisoners from the Korean War who were held at special camps in the Soviet Union where after being interrogated for eight years, they were then shot. So General Volkomov said that his own father had been liquidated under Stalin and that he has still not found any records of the circumstances of his father's murder at the hands of Stalin, he could not rule out the possibility that there were far more mass transits of American, Korean War and Vietnamese War servicemen to the Soviet Union, but most of these records are still to be located in the huge labor of bureaucracy, uh, that's, um, most of which has never uh, been uh, sifted through. So this is just what he could locate by 1992 for this Senate commission. Well, I've got a book on my shelf uh, written by John Noble, and it's entitled I Found God in Soviet Russia, printed in 1959. And he also wrote I Was a Slave in Russia, printed in 1961. Now, this is an American-born, American citizen, John Noble, 
but he's working in a camera factory in Dresden, 1945. He survived the 14th and 15th of February, 1945, firebombing by the RAF and the USAAF. And then, together with his father, was arrested by the Soviet Red Army Occupation Forces and incarcerated at the NKVD Special Camp Number 2, located on the Buchenwald concentration camp site. The Soviet Commissar appropriate the noble family's Praktika camera factory and their stock of very high-quality cameras, and they were put in a gulag. In 1950, John was sentenced to a further 15 years in the Soviet gulag system in Siberia, and as John Noble was being transported across the Soviet Union, remember, he's an American citizen, American civilian, um, captured by America's ally, Russia, he's been shipped off to the Soviet gulag, and he hasn't done anything wrong, except for owning a camera shop um, uh, along with his dad. And as he was transferred, he saw a message written by an American major, Frank Roberts, whose recorder is missing in action during World War II, and uh, saw evidence that he was alive years later in the Gulag. John Noble ended up at Vorkuta Gulag in the northernmost Urals in Siberia, Arctic Hellhole. But he somehow managed to smuggle out a postcard, which led to publications overseas by his family. And so in 1955, President Eisenhower uh, brought about his release from the Soviet Union because they knew the name and the location. And so that's one missing in action who wasn't even a soldier, just a civilian, who did return. And he told of many Americans, servicemen from the Second World War, uh, some even from the first, who were still alive and were being uh, abused, tortured and enslaved in the Gulag archipelago uh, system in Russia. So the Pentagon finally produced a Gulag study, and they admitted that the Pentagon had had a policy of suppressing prisoner of war reports. So the Gulag study concluded that American servicemen were imprisoned in the Soviet Union. And after ignoring volumes of documentation and eyewitness testimony for over 50 years, the Pentagon finally was forced to admit that it had been a matter of policy to suppress reports of American prisoners of war and misconnection incarcerated in the Soviet Union in Red China for political reasons. Then there's a Colonel Simpson, United States Air Force, who revealed that while serving as an Air Force attache at the American Embassy in Hong Kong, he learned from Russian defectors that had personally witnessed hundreds of American servicemen from the Korean War being transferred by the Chinese to the Soviets at the Chinese-Russian border crossing point at Manchugalai. And Simpson had filed a high-priority report to his superiors, and he knew it reached the hands of the Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles. Well, during the administration of President Ronald Reagan, Simpson's original report was retrieved from the dark hole it had been tossed into decades before because of President Reagan's interest in the POW-MIA issues. And so Colonel Simpson said he had been told by a senior member of the Eisenhower administration that President Eisenhower had personally concluded Nothing could be done to retrieve the men from the captivity, so the reports were buried, as probably the American servicemen in Russia were in time too. Reports have also been unearthed of American soldiers who had been fighting against the Bolsheviks at the conclusion of World War I as part of a secret American military expedition to Archangel, who had formed the hands of the Red Army when the government of President Woodrow Wilson chose to abandon him. Now, Woodrow Wilson's administration suppressed those facts and kept the plight of these American soldiers from the electorate. And all this I was first introduced to by Captain Red McDaniels, who himself was six years 
a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Well, it just reminds you of what the scripture says in Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows that he will also reap. God judges nations and that should make us fear. Another person I'd contact with was United States Senator Jeremiah Denton. In fact, when he retired from politics, one of his secretaries came and joined our mission and became one of ours. So we'd had good communication and the center had actually donated a hundred of his books when hell was in session uh, to us. And I read his book before I myself experienced imprisonment uh, in a communist prison in Zambia back in 1987. And I must say his book, When Hell Was in Session, was very practically helpful. It gave me a lot of insights as to how to resist and how to survive uh, in those conditions uh, in, in communist prison and under intense interrogation. Well, in 1965, Commander Denton of the U.S. Navy was piloting an A-6 intruder jet off an aircraft carrier. He is shot down over North Vietnam and he is captured. Held prisoner for almost eight years, severely tortured as a prisoner of war in Hanoi. Probably one of the worst tortures anyone endured and for the longest. During a televised press conference in 1966, now being the highest ranking American prisoner of war in Vietnam hands, uh, Commander Denton was singled out for, for uh, uh, special treatment and blamed for everything. And uh, so they forced him to take part in a televised press conference in 1966. And he used the opportunity to send a distress message by repeatedly blinking his eyes in Morse code, the words spelling out T-O-R, T-U-R-E, torture. And when questioned about his support for the U.S. war effort in Vietnam, Commander Denton replied, whatever the position of my government is, I fully support it. Whatever the position of the government, I believe in it. Yes, sir. I'm a member of that government and it is my job to support it. And I will as long as I live. Well, as you can imagine, he was severely tortured for that resistance. And as a senior member of the U.S. POWs, he was targeted for special treatment by his tormentors, especially when it came out from press reports in the West that he had used his eyelids blinking in Morse code to send out the word torture. Uh, brave man. Well, after his release in 1972, Senator Denton set up and chaired the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Security and Terrorism. And I've got that book on my shelf. And uh, it means a lot to us personally because he exposed the Soviet KGB control of the African National Congress, the terrorist group in South Africa, how it was completely called by, controlled by the Soviet uh, KGB. Well, uh, one of his top uh, uh, people he interviewed was a South African Communist Party member, Bartholomew Chopani. Now, I never met Bartholomew Chopani, but um, I've done work with his daughter, his paralyzed daughter, Pansy Shlopani, who was paralyzed by an AK-47 shot uh, by an assassination team that came shortly after he returned to South Africa after testifying at the Denton Commission um, of Soviet control of the ANC. And he was murdered along with his wife and his daughter Pansy was paralyzed in this. And I've pushed Pansy Shlopani's wheelchair around at Frankfurt at church conference for her to get the opportunity to testify of what her father, who had been a senior member of the Politburo of the Southern Communist Party, had testified, and uh, after his conversion to Christ, exposing what was going on. And I saw communists in Germany shaking boxes of matches in Pansy's face. There's a crippled 18-year-old girl in a wheelchair at the time. 
saying, we will burn you alive. We'll necklace you. And uh, all because her father told the truth. And Senator Jeremiah Denton published this on the communist control of the African National Congress. And that's part of the Denton Commission. Most people wouldn't know of these books or individuals that I've mentioned, but I think a lot of people would have seen Chuck Norris's Missing in Action series and the Uncommon Valor film, uh, Gene Hackman in that, which depicts some of the tortures and abuse which American prisoners of war and MIAs suffered in communist Vietnam. Um, I think far better is the Hanoi Hilton. If anyone wants to know what happened in these, I'd say that the Hanoi Hilton is the less sensational but far more accurate um, on what was going on in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. So Hanoi Hilton, Missing in Actions, or the uh, uh, Uncommon Valor of, of films that you could get a bit of an insight, but the reality, as Red McDaniels and Jeremiah Denton revealed, was far, far, far worse, beyond comprehension worse. But these films, you know, there's a limit to what people can endure in the cinema, and they, they just gloss over it to some degree, but the tortures were beyond that. Then through America's ambassador to Romania, I was introduced to Michael Sturzer, Prince Michael Sturzer, former Romanian foreign minister, who authored the book Betrayal by Rulers, which I've got. Prince Sturzer documents the pattern of treachery that cannot be explained by folly or stupidity or accident. He indicts American presidents Woodrow Wilson and Franklin Delano Roosevelt in particular as treacherous, not only to the Allies, but to Western Christian civilization. Now, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is on record as saying, nothing in politics happens by accident. If it happens in politics, you can bet it was planned that way. And a South African journalist in Kabul, Afghanistan right now, has uh, given the same observation. She says, what's going on here was so totally predictable, you have to believe that the government in Washington, D.C., the uh, White House must have wanted this outcome. The chaos you're seeing in Afghanistan right now must have been the aim of this administration because what they've done doesn't make any sense without it. So just giving a background to that. So uh, Prince Michael Sturzer in his book, Betrayal by Rulers, he documents the treachery of Winston Churchill and Franklin Delano Roosevelt in betraying millions over 150 million Christians in Eastern Europe to Stalin's brutal Soviet Union at the Tehran conference and at the Yalta conference and at Potsdam, and that these were some of the greatest blows against freedom in the history of the world. And one can only think of Psalm 140 verse 2, who plan evil things in the heart. They continually gather together for treachery. So from 1945 to 1947, over 3 million Russians Ukrainians and other East Europeans were forcibly repatriated to the Soviet Union by British and American forces at bayonet point. And these were Russian and Ukrainians, who, some of whom had fought in the Russian Liberation Army and the Ukrainian Liberation Army, uh, fighting against the Red Army, against Soviets. Um, but most of them were women and children who hadn't even been born in the Soviet Union, hadn't even lived in the Soviet Union. Many of them were descendants of parents who'd fled in 1917 to 1923 from the Bolshevik Revolution to Western Europe, and uh, they'd fled the Red Terror. And so absolutely, unbelievably treacherous, over 3 million Russians, Ukrainians, East Europeans were forced against their will by the British and American armies 
under the orders of Winston Churchill and Franklin Delano Roosevelt in, uh, in line with the Yalta Conference Agreement, which was kept secret. At least this aspect of Operation Keelhaul was kept secret for 30 years. Uh, that's one of the first books that shattered my belief in the fact that our government's out there for our benefit and that the American government is uh, fighting for freedom and uh, the guardian of civilization, all that stuff. Uh, when I read The Last Secret and uh, the book by Tolstoy as well, uh, exposing the, uh, the the great betrayal of, of the Russians uh, into the hands of the Soviets uh, in this Operation Kill, absolutely staggering. And uh, that deserves a program on its own one day. I also have on my shelf the book Allah Betrayed, The Republic of China by David Rowe. Now, Dr. Rowe, professor of political science at Yale University and a specialist in Far East history, has written this book, Allah Betrayed, The Republic of China, uh, and as the leading authority on China uh, and on politics and international relations in Asia, he documented how the American government betrayed the free nationalist Chinese forces of Chiang Kai-shek into the hands of Mao Zedong's brutal communist Red China, and the betrayal of the Republic of China into the hands of the communist Chinese party, which continues to have disastrous consequences to this day, more than 70 years later, uh, Ally Betrayed the Republic of China was another shock to me in Revelation. Another book by Professor David Rowan Mashoff, Ally Betrayed the Republic of Korea. Another book on my shelf, Ally Betrayed Nicaragua, with a foreword by the American ambassador Beryl Smith and a postscript by the American ambassador Turner Shelton. It quotes Lieutenant General Gordon Summer. Nicaragua was subverted from within and from without. The record is quite clear in this regard. The role of the Carter administration in a shabby affair, the Carter strategy of polarization using human rights as the operative principle, he succeeded in destroying the strategic position of the United States in the Caribbean basin and as well in the Western Hemisphere. Nicaragua was a strategic country in Central America. It was lost as a member of the free world and it was uh, betrayed, its democratically elected government was overthrown by Marxist campaign of sabotage and terrorism of the Sandinistas, who was supported not only by Cuba and the Soviet Union, but by the deliberate political destabilization of this freely elected government by the American administration headed by Jimmy Carter in 1979. The politics of deceit adopted by the U.S. Department of State and the massive Cuban support given to the Sandinista communist terrorists were largely ignored by the American media. And a triumph of the Sandinista terrorist movement in Nicaragua encouraged Fidel Castro and the Soviets to assist further revolutionary upheavals in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. And I'm quoting again from Allah Betrayed Nicaragua. Uh, absolutely staggering. Another book on my shelf that helps make sense of what's going on in Afghanistan today is Wall Street and the Bankrolling of the Bolshevik Revolution. This is written by Professor Anthony Sutton a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. He also wrote Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution and the best enemy money can buy, documenting how the Soviet Union and Red China were built up with Western technology and aid. Think about that when you think of how could America have left behind billions of dollars of high-tech weaponry, Black Hawk helicopters and vast amounts of night vision equipment and some of the most advanced weapons technology in the world has been left behind for the Taliban to make the Taliban the best equipped and best armed terrorist network now in the world, courtesy of taxpayer. This isn't an accident. In fact, US military have pointed out that 
in the last few months, when America's meant to have been gearing down, they've been pouring in vast amounts of extra weaponry, and many of which never left the warehouse. They were just there so that the Afghan Taliban jihadists could seize it. Well, the shocking links between Wall Street bankers and the revolutionaries like Trotsky in what became the Soviet Union, Professor Sutton's Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution and the best enemy money can buy, lets you know what's going on. Well, my very good friend and the Prime Minister of Rhodesia when I was growing up, Ian Smith, he wrote the book, The Great Betrayal. Ian Smith declared, we were never beaten by enemies. We were betrayed by our friends. And the betrayal of Rhodesia to Marxist Mugabe Zimbabwe, and now under Man Gagwa, Zanu PF, the Marxists in Zimbabwe, it continues to have disastrous repercussions to this day, 41 years later, another foreign policy achievement of Jimmy Carter's um, administration, along with our own. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, the Bible says. Well, you may say, well, I don't know who Professor Sutton is or Ian Smith. Well, I think all Americans must have heard of President Herbert Hoover. America's 31st president, he spent 20 years researching and writing a monumental documentation of U.S. State Department treachery. The title of his book, Freedom Betrayed, Herbert Hoover's Secret History of the Second World War and its Aftermath. We've done a program on it. President Herbert Hoover documents the treacherous policies of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's administration in betraying the Christians of Central and Eastern Europe into the hands of Stalin's brutal Soviet Union. For with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you, our Lord said. Hoover's Freedom Betrayed is a 900-page encyclopedia of uncomfortable truths that seriously challenged the traditional views of American President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Because President Herbert Hoover documents FDR's foreign policies were not merely disastrous and catastrophic, but treacherous. And I think as we examine what's going on right now, in Afghanistan with President Biden's administration. I think that's what the postscript will be of future stories. Not just disastrous, not merely catastrophic, but treacherous. Herbert Hoover's shocking expose has proved to be one of the key historical documents of the mid 20th century, a searing indictment of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the politicians around him who lied prodigiously to conceal their nefarious, treacherous agenda. I think of Psalm 55, verse 21. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than all, yet they were drawn swords. And FDR will turn out to be one of the most treacherous and evil people in the history of the 20th century. And that's saying something, but he and Stalin really belonged together in terms of having caused the most damage and the most destruction, especially of the Christian church and of freedom. The Shah story, by Shah Muhammad Reza Pahlavi, the last Shah of Iran, documents the treacherous role of the U.S. State Department under President Jimmy Carter, which led to the Islamic Revolution of 11 February 1979 and the end of over 2,500 years of continuous Persian monarchy since the founding of the Persian Empire by Cyrus the Great. And so during the Shah's last 30, the last Shah of Iran's 38-year rule, Iran went through a series of economic, social, and political reforms, which transformed Iran into a global power, with its national income rising 423 times over. I mean, that's stupendous economic growth. And by 1977, Iran's military had become the world's fifth strongest armed forces. Fifth strongest. 
Iran's economic growth rate exceeded that of the United States, Great Britain and France combined. The destabilizing and betrayal of Iran in 1979, which was a major stabilizing influence, pro-Western influence in, uh, in the Middle East, it continues to have a disastrous consequences. So the repercussions of Jimmy Carter's betrayal of Iran 41 years ago continues to cause grief to this day. So on my first visit to the United States of America in January 1988, I had the privilege of hearing Colonel Oliver North describe how he had time and again been commanded to lead his Marines to take a position in Vietnam, only to then be ordered to withdraw from that position, to then be told to retake that position, which by then was far more effectively defended, they would then succeed a second time at greater loss of life, only to be ordered to withdraw from that position, and then a third time be instructed to retake the same position, which was now further entrenched now with concrete pillboxes, barbed wire, and more devastating weaponry. And so at greater loss of life, the U.S. Marines would succeed in taking that position a third time, only to be ordered to withdraw from that position again. And I remember the horror and shock and disgust I felt listening to this first-hand testimony of the criminal short-sightedness or malicious treachery of U.S. government officials towards their own armed forces. So when people say, how could President Biden, the U.S. State Department, the U.S. government abandon their allies in Afghanistan? How could they abandon their own citizens in Afghanistan? How could they betray and abandon their own soldiers? They've closed down Bagram Air Base before even evacuating their own civilians or soldiers. Just absolutely, how could they be so foolish? Well, you know, if you make a mistake, we're all human, we all make a mistake. If you make the same mistake twice, you're stupid. If you make the same mistake 10, 20, 30 times, you've got a hidden agenda. Nobody is that stupid. Nobody makes that many mistakes. And as Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, in politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happened that way, you can be sure it was meant that way. Well, during my first visit to America in 1988, I met with a political leader who commented to me, you must understand, there's some method to our madness. For every ally we betray, we get a whole lot of new restaurants to choose from here in Washington, D.C. And there, standing on a street corner, he pointed over to a Chinese restaurant, a Vietnamese restaurant, and a Hungarian restaurant. And he mentioned that there's a Mongolian one a few blocks away. I looked at him to see, is this some kind of sick joke? And he gave me a bitterly frustrated look. He grieved that this was the truth spoken in jest. Our Lord said the day will come when every idle word men may speak, they'll have to give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And it's no wonder that our friend Jonas Zavimbi had declared many years ago in Angola, it's better to be America's enemy than America's friend. If you are her enemy, you will probably be bought. But if you're America's friend, you will certainly be sold. That's been my experience the country I was brought up in Rhodesia is today communist Zimbabwe. South Africa, the land of my birth and where I served as a soldier in the South African Army and where my family lives, we have been betrayed by our allies into the hands of Marxist terrorists and uh, effectively a communist government. Southwest Africa, which I fought for in the South African Army, uh, is today Namibia. And so I've lived through three of those revolutions, not counting the very good revolution in Romania in 1989, when the people overthrew the communist dictatorship of Ceausescu. So I've, I've been through four revolutions, but three of them, we were betrayed by our 
friends, not defeated by enemies. Many American people are good people, but they need to be aware that the deep state, the swamp, has the blood of many millions of innocents on their hands. Those who would treacherously betray their friends and allies and others who trust them, who could even abandon their own military in Marxist hellholes and lie to cover it up, cannot be trusted. And I can only think that while a lot of what's going on right now is treachery, there's another element we need to think about, and that is God's judgment. In Zephaniah 3, verse 1 to 5, we read, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in the morning are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They've done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in the midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. If you want to reread that, that's in Zephaniah 3, verse 1 to 5. In the Bible, we read, who will rise up for me against evildoers? Who will make a stand for me against the workers of iniquity? I have some good friends in the U.S. military who've served in Afghanistan. I've even got a nephew who fought in the Marines in Afghanistan on several tours of duty. And uh, what I've heard from uh, good friends and qualified people uh, involved in military in many levels, from infantry, Marines, intelligence, Navy SEALs and others, uh, they said, when we went to Afghanistan in 2001, the mission was clear. Destroy Al-Qaeda and uh, and remove the Taliban from power, uh, who had been the terror-sponsoring state that had provided Al-Qaeda with a base of operations. And they said we were actually welcomed as liberators. Uh, when Americans came into Afghanistan and Kabul and Kandahar and other places, they were received often with great enthusiasm uh, by people who had suffered much under under the Taliban and were pleased to welcome them. And at the time, I said in public meetings in America, on radio programs in America, on TV programs in America, uh, it's important for you to finish the job and get out quick. Uh, remember the British experience. The British have had three wars in Afghanistan over the years, 1840s, um, 1870s, and uh, even 1919. And uh, in each case, the British found you might be able to win victories in Afghanistan, but you can't hold the country. Uh, it's too rugged, too mountainous, and the people there are extremely good uh, fighters, generationally strengthened in, in the mountains and, and fighting. So uh, do what you've got to do and get out fast. And if America had left in 2002, they'd be remembered in the history books as liberators who freed them from the Taliban. But they stayed and they stayed and they stayed and they definitely outstayed their welcome. And after a while, uh, the mission changed. And uh, what my friends uh, have pointed out is that the mission changed from defeating terrorism of Al-Qaeda to nation building. And especially under Obama, the whole mission changed to promoting radical feminism, which you can imagine didn't go down too well in the Islamic culture of Afghanistan, and promoting the LGBTQ gay agenda, which is perversion and an abomination in the eyes of most Afghans, Muslims, and Christians for that matter, too. And you can imagine how well that went down. So that right now, many people who, who hated and opposed the Taliban and were glad for America's liberation in 2001, became hostile to America because what America was doing was 
prostituting the country and they said brothels and whorehouses and drugs and all kinds of perversion were being multiplied in the cities and the people began to think, you know, we would be better off back under the Taliban. And I, I don't know that that aspect has been brought out much is the fact that soldiers should only be sent out to fight for national defense and they should not be expected to fight for something as nefarious or as worthless as some political agenda like promoting some gay agenda. Honestly and truly, um, that is not what armies are deployed for. And the U.S. taxpayers didn't just pour billions in. It was over a trillion dollars that went into Afghanistan. How many people died? How many, uh, not just uh, Americans who died there, but how many Afghans died? And remember, the Afghan army lost 66,000 men, the Afghan National Army, which America built up and equipped. So they, they lost over 66,000 men in combat fighting the Taliban. So it's not honest for Biden to say they weren't willing to fight to defend their own country. Uh, they were fighting to defend their own country, and there were a lot of sacrifices made. And it's tragic that right now you can see the conclusion of what's happening. This is treachery. There's a long trail of betrayal, and we need to recognize the history behind the American retreat and defeat in Afghanistan. We need to learn these lessons. And I would trust that the criminals responsible for this treachery, they need to be held to account. And if there's any justice in America, uh, the people who've made these policies in the White House and so on should be going to jail. They, they should not just be impeached. Uh, they should be on trial for treason. Uh, this, is, this is not just treacherous to America's allies and friends, but treacherous to American citizens who've been abandoned, left behind, and told to follow the State Department on Twitter, make their own way to the airport. Uh, just shocking and staggering. Bagram Air Base was built in a very defendable way, and they closed down the only solid base to which people could do an evacuation from, and Tele want to go to Kabul Airport, which is uh, impossible to defend, and which is totally surrounded by the Taliban, and to tell over 10,000 American citizens, not counting the Allies, the British and the uh, German and uh, the Australian and Czech and French forces who were involved in this NATO operation in Afghanistan, because remember, it was a NATO operation, said that unprecedentedly, the American administration had given no warning to their NATO allies that they were withdrawing in such an abrupt and disastrous way. And so you've got French, British, German, Australian and Czech forces uh, venturing behind enemy lines to try and rescue their stranded citizens hiding there. Uh, and it's absolutely staggering uh, the, the chaos that's been caused by this completely unnecessary uh, you don't close down your airbase before you've evacuated your citizens and your own soldiers. And so why America did it this way? And, uh, well, of course, we know they've got an agenda. But uh, it's important for us to know the history behind this defeat and retreat in Afghanistan. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, you reminded me uh, years ago, back in November of 2016, I did a show on the prisoners of war we believe are still in Vietnam and Laos and what have you, with a guy called W. Tynan Brown, who did a lot of work on that topic. So that was something that we brought out there. And he firmly believes that there are people could still be over there now alive that were prisoners of war from the Vietnam War, and they were just simply abandoned. But um, the other thing I wanted to throw in, this is very interesting. I, I know the story, and I've been trying to find it. Uh, the best I can come up with a, is a website called mercatornet.com, mercatornet.com the author is michael cook 
and the headline is the rainbow flag flutters no more over the u.s embassy in kabul and i just want to scroll down to a bit that i found he says sorry to be rude but who was the deluded moron who ordered a rainbow flag to be displayed in the capital of the nation which is probably the most implacably hostile place on earth for lgbtq causes probably the same one who ordered it to be hung from the balcony of the american embassy to the holy see ultimately it was joe biden one of the president's earliest initiatives after taking office was to send the state department a strongly worded memo to ensure that United States diplomacy and foreign assistance promote and protect the human rights of LGBTQ persons. He even described this as one of our most dearly held values. When the President proclaimed June as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer pride month, he declared proudly that nearly 14% of my 1500 agency appointees identify as LGBTQ and he gave a special shout out to Secretary Pete Buttigieg and Rachel Levine, the first openly transgender person to be confirmed by the Senate. No wonder the acting US ambassador in Kabul believed that in-your-face defiance of Islamic values was the best way to promote respect for America in the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. But how many Afghan soldiers saw the rainbow flag waving over the US $800 million embassy compound and said, Allahu Akbar, I am proud to be fighting shoulder to shoulder with Joe Biden? Probably none. Probably many Afghanis considered it to be one step short of treading on a copy of the Quran. So I thought that that was worth throwing in there. Back to you, um, Peter, for your comments. Yes, indeed. And so I think uh, if people want to have a different perspective on the um, bizarre uh, twist that you get from the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, the Communist News Network and Slime Magazine, um, they should just take a look at RT, uh, Russia Today. And Russia Today uh, put it quite clearly, America lost the war in Afghanistan by promoting perversion and immorality and uh, alienating the decent Afghan people. And, you know, the Russians should know they had 10 years in Afghanistan and the British should know <laughs> Britain's had three wars in Afghanistan over the last uh, century and a half. And so... Uh, both Britain and America could give, uh, sorry, Britain and Russia could give all sorts of lessons to America as to how to go about things. But it didn't seem that those in power in America cared to learn from history or they, they were either morons, as uh, to, to quote <laughs> your, your source, Michael Corner there, uh, but uh, or they were doing it deliberately in order to antagonize the allies and the population of Afghanistan to ensure the defeat of America's mission there in Afghanistan, because uh, it's impossible to think you can be that stupid uh, that you could think. And I've got the pictures actually of, of the rainbow flags being flown of American military bases and so on. I don't have the picture of it being flown from the U S embassy. That would be very interesting. If someone could send me that I'm putting together a whole presentation on this and that's excellent uh, to be able to document most people in America need to understand why they lost and why they are in defeat and retreat in Afghanistan. It's because the mission changed from fighting terrorism to promoting perversion. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Funnily enough, I'll, I'll send this article on to you because it's got some tweets in it, but uh, just a slight diversion. I haven't looked at RT for a while because, you know, they 
did a hit piece on David Icke, and I don't agree with everything David Icke said, but I didn't like the way that they did that, and I was annoyed. But you're right, I, I've had a lot of links, so I've, I've returned that now to my uh, news folder um, alongside Jeff Rents' site. What have I got on my news folder? Um, before it's news.com, that seems to have been hijacked by some people. Censor.news is good because that's pulls up all sites like Infowars, Natural News, all into one place. Uh, Rents.com, Daily Stormer, not for everybody, and RT.com I've now added. But the reason I throw that in is the fourth headline down. It says, Sean Penn told the unvaccinated to not see his new film. Unfortunately for him, the vaccinated don't seem interested either. <laughs> but uh, I thought I'd throw that one out there. But uh, yeah, this other one, Mercatornet, I'll forward this article on to you because not only has it got um, uh, the images in, it's got the actual tweet, US Embassy Kabul, June the 2nd, 2021, 1.02pm. The month of June is recognised as LGBTI Pride Month. The United States respects the dignity and equality of LGBTI people and celebrates their contributions to the society. We remain committed to the supporting civil rights of minorities, including LGBTI persons. I get confused with this. I, I tend to leave it LGBT because we've got another one that said uh lgbtq another one says lgbt plus I, I don't know what's going on but i'll send this over <laughs> to you because uh, it's got that uh, some interesting images that you may find useful and it might be worth I'll, I'll have a look into this site um it might be a good it says uh mercatornet navigating modern complexities m-e-r-c-a-t-o-r-n-e-t.com dot com Mercatornet. So have a look at that, folks. And if I don't get round to it, maybe someone can let me know if it's any good. But I'll try and have a look at that later. So uh, let's have a look at the clock. We are out of time. But before we go, can you let the audience know any response to what I said and let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you, Peter? Back to you. Certainly. And in fact, I, I might just add that uh, some of my uh, American military friends have said that if America was ever serious about defeating Taliban, they would put pressure on Pakistan, which is one of America's allies in the area, because Pakistan provides almost all the logistical support, weapons, backup and, and support base for Taliban. And the Taliban's main bases are all in Pakistan. And America gives vast amounts of military aid to Pakistan and never put pressure on Pakistan to put pressure on the Taliban, which America could easily do. But anyway, so if people are interested in my uh, website, it's www.frontlinemissionessay.org, frontlinemissionessay.org. I'm doing a presentation on this, which uh, uh, I'll be getting videos and PowerPoints out on as much as I can to document this. Uh, Pictures-wise, soon that'll be put on the website. And if anyone wants to get hold of me, it's peter at frontline.org.za. Peter at frontline.org.za or visit frontlinemissionessay.org. Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic presentation as always. Folks, you have been listening to the real story behind the American retreat and defeat in Afghanistan. I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today. I want to thank all of you for listening. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. Have a wonderful day, folks, and bye for now.